Welcome to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. Our mission is to elevate and inspire all mountain athletes through education and celebration. My name is Steve House, and I will be your host today along with Alyssa Clark. We're super psyched today to bring you a very knowledgeable guest and one of our coaches, Will Weidman. Welcome, Will. Hey, great to be here talking with you about my favorite topic. Will's an accomplished ultra runner, coach, and a data scientist. He has over a hundred finishes of trail, ultra, and road races. He's taken on and finished with high rankings in the Hellbender 100, the UTMB, the Tour de Jeant, to name just a few. Will has coached athletes to over 500 finishes at races all over the world with an incredible success rate of only two DNFs. And both of those, if I'm not mistaken, were due to broken bones, right, Will? So I don't know if that even counts against you. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes, yeah, falls that uh, created some injuries, but that's right. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on, Will. My pleasure, great to be here. I would say those don't really count. I mean, when broken bones, when there's, you know, bones sticking out or, or blood involved. I mean, some blood's okay. I think, I think, uh, that's a pretty solid finish rate. Uh, but we are super excited to have you on the podcast. Um, I personally love talking to you and, uh, I think this is going to be a blast. So first off, I'd love to start with how you got into the sport of ultra running, um, and what your background is in that. It it's wild how many people got into this sport from one of two books, Born to Run or Ultra Marathon Man. And I was the Ultra Marathon Man generation. So that inspired me to run my first ultra, which was JFK in 2007. JFK has about 16 miles on the Appalachian Trail and then a marathon on a flat canal path and then some road. Uh, and I realized in training for the race and running the race that I've didn't love the flat and the road part as much, but I really loved that trail part and being on the AT and really just went from there and signed up for the Vermont 100 and been running mountains and trails since then. That's awesome. And how did you get from racing to then coaching? What led you onto that path? So I had a lot of years between that. Um, you know, after I ran my first couple ultras, the first couple went really well, I think partially beginner's luck. And then I had several years where I honestly struggled a lot. I had, I think, 400 mile DNFs in a row and just struggled with training structure and nutrition and just trying to figure out things the hard way and eventually got to the other side of that after almost giving up the sport, actually. But then after a while, I realized, you know, I'd piece this together and wanted to help people avoid the mistakes that I made and was inspired to get into coaching and hopefully help others and help them have a, an easier path with it. Nice. Was that uh, 2019? Is that the year that was really a struggle or? So I started, I started coaching in, uh, yeah, 2019, 2020, the years that were struggles were more 2009 to 2012 or 13. Gotcha. Um, okay. yeah. And then had a you know number of years after that, where it got back on the rails and got back on track. Nice. I know we discuss this often at a athlete, but I just want to quickly 
talk about and actually define the term muscular endurance. I'll take a first crack at it. And generally speaking, muscular endurance is the capacity to do a lot of uh, repeated exercise that requires a, a high degree of strength. Sometimes it's called strength endurance. Um, and muscular endurance training is sometimes called local muscular endurance training, sometimes called strength endurance. It has a bunch of other names that you might hear kicking around. And the, the way I like to describe muscular endurance isn't so much through sets or reps, but in terms of perceived exertion and what it feels like to, to do. And, you know, the overall feeling when you're doing muscular endurance training is that the, you know, your legs in the case of, you know, what we're, we're talking about are kind of are working really hard, but you're able to keep going and your lungs are not the limiting factor. So, you know, if I put that into visuals, it's like I'm carrying a really heavy pack up a really steep hill. And as I, push with each leg one at a time um it's like uh, i can just i can just get it out and get that step and get the next one and get the next one and kind of keep going at a pretty slow pretty steady pace and that's what it feels like i think a lot of uh denali climbers will know this because it's exactly what pulling a sled up denali feels like uh it's just it's it's hard it's kind of slow um, but it's an incredible training tool and it's been one of the, I would say, pillars of the uphill athlete sort of approach to training. So it's, a, it's something that I use for years in my training for alpinism and, you know, it kind of comes out of, you know, classical strength training. Um, and we have ways to do it in the gym, ways to do it outside and so on. What is your, uh, how would you define that, Will? I would define it as the strength you can sustain over the event that you're doing. And I think we often forget how much any kind of running really is a strength and power type of sport. We think a lot about the aerobic aspect and the aerobic systems, um, the lactate and VO2 max systems, which are very important as well. But when you actually think about your landing on one leg with multiple times your body weight, and absorbing that impact, and you're doing that tens of thousands of times. And then you take that and you move it to a trail or a mountain where now you're going thousands of meters, tens of thousands of feet up mountains and down mountains, and you're absorbing those forces and fighting gravity while you're doing all that. And it really is um, you know, incredibly important when to think about that muscular endurance and the strength and power you need to be able to sustain you through those. Yeah, and I think that's also really something that I want to highlight that what you said is it's very related to speed too. Like power, speed is related to power. And, you know, you can't run fast if you're not powerful. So while muscular endurance training is often thought of as sort of the slow grinding sort of movement, that doesn't mean that that you are going to be running more slowly because of it. Actually, quite the opposite. I think it's actually a, a great way to, you know, combine with other things like tempo and, and other work types, workouts to build the neurological connections needed to do the faster paces. Uh, you can actually gain a lot of speed through this kind of work. 
Yeah, I think that those are exceptional points. I actually wrote down what you said, Will, about the strength you can sustain over the event that you are doing. I think that's a great way of defining it. I also, I tend to think about it with my athletes too. If they come back and say, um, the limiting factor was my legs or the limiting factor was my um, my breath or like my uh, heart rate, that to me, it's like, oh, limiting factor legs, muscular endurance. That's what we need to do. Limiting factor aerobic capacity. We need to keep working on your zone one, zone two. Um, so that to me is, I love when my athletes come back and give me just that really easy way to define it. Cause it's so, it then becomes so clear of like, oh, cool. That's what we need to work on. Um, so I'm always glad when I get that feedback cause it, it uh, lends itself to the direction we need to go. And I think that Pretty much anyone climbing, you know, the the five, four, five thousand foot climbs in uh, Tour de Jean probably feels that to a certain extent. Um, but Will, you can have used muscular endurance to help combat that. And we brought you on because I th- and I think I heard this really early on when um, Steve was talking about you that muscular endurance has played a huge part in your training and also your success in the longer mountainous um, events. So I'd love to hear what your background is and how you have uh, personally used it in your training. Yeah, I didn't always use it in my training like I do now. So I found myself after about a dozen years in the sport in early 2019 with a growing pile of injuries and felt like I was just breaking down over time. So I had lower back issues, Achilles, right hip. I had a small tear in my hamstring that wasn't healing. And I realized this wasn't going to work. I had to figure out what was going on. I had to figure out how to make this sustainable if I wanted to keep doing what I love so much. And so that was early 2019. I was staring down, being uh, signed up. I got into UTMB that year, and it was hard to even run because of what was going on with my body. So that's where I started. Um you know, I was able to find a really great PT to help start that path and read a book that you might've heard of called training for the uphill athlete. And, um, I had to start really from the basics. I mean, I had to really just start from body weight work, core work, band work, just to deal with some of the deficiencies that had built up from doing the sport for a long time and the imbalances and, you know, one side being stronger than the other. So I had to really work on that. And then I started to incorporate more, uh, weighted strength type exercises and, you know, building that up over time. And then, you know, moving that towards things like deadlifts and squats and single leg work and just continuing to build over time and over the years. And I was amazed just, you know, the impact it had just from feeling stronger, feeling more resilience, these injuries just fading away and I haven't really had much of an injury to speak of in the four and a half years since then. Um, and also just found I was getting, better performances and getting faster as well. So in addition to just the injury prevention and feeling better, I was actually, you know, even as I was getting older, able to get faster through doing that. Cause like you said, Steve, uh, it's not just about being able to finish or the injury prevention. It, it is a way to actually improve performance too, cause you're able to bring more power to what you're doing. So that was, yeah, that was a path that I, went on and I've you know just continued to have that be a core focus ever since then. Excellent. And I 
actually want to touch on a specific usage um, of muscular endurance for you with a race that everyone must think that we are sponsoring or just are personally <laughs> obsessed with. Uh, I know that you use muscular endurance for Tour de Jean. I'd love to hear maybe what that buildup looked like for you and then how you felt it worked during the race. So I've been looking at Tour de Géant for the 12 years that that race was in existence, you know, since I first saw pictures of it in 2010, just such an amazing, uh, amazing course, like amazing challenge, but I had, you know, healthy respect for just how hard it was going to be. Um, for those who aren't as familiar, it is, and Alyssa, I think, you know, the stats on it are hard to pin down, right? But I think it's on the order of 220 miles and about 85,000 feet of climbing. And going into the year of training for my number one focus was I knew I just had to get myself as strong as possible and focus first and foremost on muscular endurance, which you might think a race that long, you need to really focus more on, you know, the running side or distance or mileage or vertical. But I knew the reality of it was going to be so far beyond anything I'd done. And the idea of four plus days in that terrain, what was really going to matter most at the end of it was going to be the strength side of things and muscular endurance just to prevent breakdown as much as possible. So I'd had that foundation. I've been doing it since, you know, early 2019 um, and really made that more of a core focus, you know, multiple muscular endurance workouts a week, trying to really progress what I was doing in those workouts a lot. That's going to be single leg, um, but a lot of, you know, deadlift squat type movements as well. One way I thought about that was in terms of relative to body weight, you know, again, coming back to like, it's how much power you can put out relative to weight is try to progress over time in terms of like a power to weight aspect. And that was the, that was the core. I mean, I certainly did plenty of running and plenty of other training and plenty of vert over that, but throughout that was what I focused most on. You mentioned the strength, some of these strength exercises, did you um, use and progress like a particular, like all outdoors or did you rely more on the gym-based muscular endurance approach or have you, what's your, what's your favorite, what's your favorite flavor? I, I usually use gym-based, um, which at the start was maybe not my favorite thing to do, but I've come around to actually enjoy it a lot more and, um, you know, find find it to be fun with, you know, the right structure around it. But I generally like doing the gym-based version. I think for, for outdoor, one challenge I find, um, and thinking from a coaching standpoint too, is there's a tendency often with a big distance race to just go out and want to do as long of a run as possible at a slow effort. And then what will happen is over time, you're going to get slow, you're going to get less efficient, the running economy gets impacted. So what I generally like to do is actually keep that outdoor work and try to focus on moving well and improving some of those other lactate and VO2 max type systems and bring more intensity into those, which is just harder to do with, you know, a weight weighted structure to it. So we do a lot of, um, you know, hill tempos, hill intervals, hill strides and focus on that for the outdoor portion and then do a lot of the strength work several times a week in the gym. And I would say, you know, even before tour, that had a pretty big impact. Like when I first did UTMB in 2017, I remember I trained a lot. I had really high volume and high vert going into that race. 
but the last three downhills, my quads were just totally blown. I, you know, I was leaning on my trekking poles, you know, hobbling down at who knows how slow for those last three descents, my legs were just gone. And then 2019, you know, coming off of those injuries and incorporating the muscular endurance training, I actually did less running volume that year, but I didn't have that same quads being shot. My legs weren't gone. I was running to the end. Uh, I was about three hours faster that year with less running volume throughout the year. And I think that, you know, is almost hundred percent the combination of the muscular endurance work and then putting more intensity in the trail running longer run efforts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That that's very true, right? Like you have to, you, you can't let that part of the technique go, right? I mean, people forget how much running is a technique sport. I mean, that's not the, uh, the, the viewpoint that people start out with, but when you've been doing it for a while or been coaching it for a while, you realize just how incredibly important, you know, form and, and technique is and, and doing all those things like the, the, the tempos and, and the repeats and, and, and that stuff. So that's interesting. I also have to say with, um, I do think for most people, it is easier to wrap their heads around doing the muscular endurance in the gym because it's just much easier to control the variables. That's assuming that people have the background or have access to someone that they can do the workouts with that can teach them the correct form. And I think in climbing, which is more my, which is obviously much more my background, but as well in running, you know, we, neither of these sports have a, a real strong history with, you know, hanging out in the gym and lifting weights. So that's for a lot of us in all of these mountain sports, that's a deficiency. And I think, uh, how did you go about, you know, that was that a background you had, did you lean on this physical therapist you mentioned, or how did you go about kind of solving that aspect of the problem as you worked, worked your way into this? I would say having the physical therapist helped a lot just in terms of bringing some structure to it, some direction to it, having somebody actually look at form and technique in person. Yeah. And I, I would recommend that everybody do that. Even just once have somebody who is an expert check out how you're doing and what the form is like, because that makes such a big difference and so important to make sure you're doing it well. So that ended up helping a lot. And then, you know, that, got the path started where I you know, started to feel more comfortable with it and was able to build up from there. But I think it's a good place to you know, try to get some help to get that started if you don't have as much of that extensive background. And once you have that and can feel more comfortable and have some guidance on it, I think it's a lot easier to get that going. How about you, Lisa? Did you learn this in lacrosse or... Yeah, you know, I was just actually having this conversation with one of my friends is that um, I grew up with a strength background. Um, I lifted in high school. I lifted in college. Um, especially I went to a ski academy and we lifted. I mean, we we're little Nordic skiers, but we lifted. And then I did crew for a year in lacrosse um, kind of throughout. And I actually think that the athletes that I see often excelling, I think I, think I mentioned this in the last podcast too, are athletes that come from 
having spent time in the gym, having um, developed a pretty strong basis, especially in mountain running, having sturdy legs makes a difference in having a strong core. Um, and having spent a lot of time building up those ligaments um, to be able to to keep everything going in a good direction, um, especially in trail running, there's so much um, ligament strain and stress that I think if you come from a strength background, that can be huge. Uh, so as much as um, like I look back and go, ah, oh, yeah, I would probably have liked to spend time on trail. I'm actually really thankful that I played field sports and was introduced to the gym at quite an early age. And I think that the more we can help athletes change their mindset about gym work. I also think like a lot of athletes, I think, especially when we're doing the long zone one, zone two work can get really defeated by the slowness of the efforts. And so it's like, Hey, you can go to the gym and rage a little bit, you know, here's your chance to let it out and really go after it. So I think looking at it, at it as an opportunity um, to, you know, cross the aerobic threshold barrier, uh, I, I think is a, a great way to approach it. Yeah. And Alyssa, what's also wild is you'll have people who won't bat an eye at going out for a six to eight hour run on a Saturday, <laughs> Yes, but you know, 20 minutes of strength work is just, Oh, I don't have the time. Right. Um, but you can get a lot of strength work done and not a lot of time. I mean, you go 15, 20 minutes of hard strength work effort twice a week. You can make a ton of progress doing that. And, you know, you're not even giving up much running, even if that comes exclusively at the cost of running time. I mean, that's a good trade-off in, in my mind, and it's not that hard to do. Yeah, you know, I think part of it goes to intimidation and what we're used to. We're going into a gym, we're starting something quote-unquote new is intimidating. And especially as an adult, I, I think probably like the three of us have gotten pretty good at embracing that you have to be a beginner uh, and learn things. I think um, to do what we do, you have to adopt that spirit. But I think that that can be really scary for other people. And so I think going into a gym and you've always been a runner, it's like, well, what if I'm bad at it? What if someone laughs at me or I don't know what I'm doing, especially if you do have a strong expertise in a certain area that can that can be a real deterrent. Yeah, I, I think that we're battling human nature here a little bit, which, you know, means ourselves, which is where the real good stuff happens. But, it, you know, I'll make an analogy out of the sport. But, you know, if whenever I go ski touring, I notice the people who are really good on the downhill, they always have the heaviest setup. Right. And all the people that are really good on the uphill, they always have the lightest setup. And what they all need to do is switch gear yes. because the people who are really good on the uphill, they can't ski for crap going down. Right. So they actually need like stiff boots and fat skis for the way down. They're the ones that need it. But they're like showing up at the trailhead on a powder day with like their, you know, 60 centimeter with underfoot race skis with, you know, a, it's completely backwards and we all are like that like we you know if you're if you're a runner and you got into it because you love to run yeah you don't bat an eye about you know the the sunday long run right but you know 
if you're not used to going to the gym, then that's hard. And I think that people who are used, and we've all seen this as coaches, people who are used to going into the gym, they just, they lo actually love going to the gym. They love lifting weights. And it's sometimes really hard to get them to go to out and do aerobic work. You know, um, you know, there's you just, just, just tap into any gym culture and they'll talk about, you know, they're always downplaying and making fun of quote unquote cardio and, that kind of stuff. Right. And it's just like, yeah, well, you, got, you guys are just doing you people are just doing what you like to do. And then, which is nothing wrong with that, of course. But like if we're training and we're trying to pull together best practices to get better at something like running 200 miles or running a race with 85,000 vertical feet, I mean, that's just insane. Right. Then, you know, you actually right, Yeah. Surprise, surprise, you have to be really strong to be able to, to do that. You know, it's a, it's a lot of lot of workload. Yeah, and you touched on this, Steve, but there's an aspect of working on what is your what is your weakness, right? What, what are the things that you're not as good at? Um, you know, people can't see me on the podcast, but I am I am pretty thin, right? <laughs> so I have 50,000 plus miles of trail running on my legs. I got the running part like I need I need help. And my weakness is the strength part. So that's what I have to make sure I don't forget and make sure I focus on. And I love running on the trails. But if that time in the gym will, one, make me be able to do this sport for a lot longer, and two, get me to the finish line, and three, maybe even get me there faster, like that's a great trade-off. Definitely. I also want to touch on this idea that when you're running your – kind of just purely running because as we're getting into races like a UTMB, like a Tour de Jean, a Moab, we see, uh, which is an incredible thing. And I think is a good direction, especially as we get more and more people with um, less overall mountain experience, there's required gear. And so when you are out on these courses, you're not just carrying your water and some snacks it's a whole lot more involved than that. And so I was reflecting on when I did Moab 240, and I would guess that my pack was anywhere from 10 to 15 pounds, um, because you've got 25 miles upwards between aid stations, um, you have unpredictable weather. And so, Will, what are your thoughts on muscular endurance being beneficial for um, these trail runners who aren't carrying quote unquote weight. Uh, whereas maybe, maybe that's not the case. It, it's true. More and more races are requiring more and more gear. And I think there's a lot of good reason for that. And we could certainly debate it, but for safety, then the reality is you have to carry more things with you. And that is a big difference, right? Like you said, if you're talking about dozens or a hundred plus miles and you're taking that weight and you have to carry that up all these mountains that does take a lot more strength so I, I do think from a standpoint of thinking about the strength you need to do that and also practicing that in some of your runs too you know you may not want to do it all the time but take that set of required gear and take that up your local hill and practice with that and make sure that works and know how that feels going into it and you know there's also interesting things like you know when i thought back on tour there was probably 70 plus hours where I was using trekking poles and I was hauling on those things for all I was worth to try to save my legs as much as I possibly could. And then you think about the core and upper body strength you need to be 
putting force into trekking poles for that long. And, you know, so I was certainly doing the muscular endurance work, but I also, and looking back, I'd, I don't have a climbing background, but my older son started climbing a couple of years ago and I just found myself in the climbing gym and I was there. So I was going to climb and doing more of it. And I think that was actually hugely helpful just to have that upper body strength as well to be able to, you know, use poles and help take some of the pressure off the legs for that kind of terrain. So, yeah, you got to think about the race you're doing, the weight, the gear, are you using poles or not? Cause that all comes in. And if you, if you're not planning for that ahead of time, it's going to be really hard the day of. Yeah. I know we didn't intend to talk about this, but one of the things that I think is beneficial for runners that I've coached that have a, that they use skiing as their opposite sport it, for those that live in a, in that environment, like, you know, again, like you can ski tour. It's just, it's just enough similar and it's just enough different that I think it, there's really a lot of advantages to, you know, I mean, we see Killian and Emily and, all, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are doing that to great effect. And I don't think that that's an accident, you know, that they're not like, I don't know, road cycling in the winter. They're, they're ski touring. Um, they're not cross country skiing. They're not like doing, there's a lot of things you can do in the winter and not just running year round either, because I think that, it's, it's good to give your body a little bit of a break and um, by switching things up, you know, and it's also, um, you know, can certainly, I used to do a lot of these upper body ME workouts, uh, like double pulling on cross country skis, you know, similar kind of thing, right? Uh, you just find that piece of track that just had a slight uphill that was long enough and you know you can you can do a pretty good me workout just double pulling on a slow pair of cross-country skis and uh you know there's a lot of things that you can do in the off season uh as strength training but it's still i'm outdoors i'm i'm in the i'm in i'm on the snow i'm in the mountains like it's it doesn't feel like work then right like there are a lot of uh, ways to do it. And that I want to go back to the different types and I want to not pass over the uh, outdoor version of muscular endurance because, you know, it doesn't work for everybody, especially urban dwellers. Urban dwellers are going to have a hard time doing that unless they, you know, like, like the staircase at their local Sears tower or something. But, you know, doing those is at least going outside and being on a trail or being on a steep road or like on a, you know, something when you're doing those workouts, have you, either of you spent much time with uh, outdoor muscular endurance? And see that you, know, it might be helpful too, just to find that too for the audience. And so that would be having weight that you're carrying and then carrying weight up, up a, you know, steep incline, right? Yeah, I think the that. easiest way for a runner to understand it is to, it's like a, a weighted zone three interval workout. <laughs> like if you, you know, zone three, zone four intervals of long duration, like, you know, five to, you know, 45 minutes, depending. And, you know, pretty heavy weight, right? Heavy enough that you can't just like bound up, you know, can't walk fast up the hill. Like you're having to push hard through your legs and you're probably wanting to wear boots to protect your feet and ankles, you're probably using ski poles because you want that upper body effect. You want to be, as you said, will sort of 
pulling on those for all you're worth. And that's part of the workout, like, cause that's what you are doing on these, on these big races. I mean, you know, you, I don't think anybody finishes tour without ski poles, right? Like it just doesn't, uh, just can't do it probably. Yeah. I, I think pretty much everyone is using trekking poles. So, you know, I haven't, I haven't done, I've witnessed muscular endurance cause my husband follows the Iger plan. Uh, and I've seen him go up with uh, 50 pounds on his back and it looks incredibly painful. Um, but I've done, I guess where I kind of do it is that I do ski tour in the winter. And so I'll often have a pretty heavy pack. I ski tour in Lake Tahoe. So I always have powder skis on my feet. Um, and so it is for me, that's a pretty big strength workout. And I think it, that actually prepares me really well for the mountains, as you were saying, Steve. Um, so not explicitly the muscular endurance work, but through the change of seasons, that off-season work, that is quite muscularly challenging um, for me. And so it's not not the exact definition, and I would encourage people to do muscular endurance workouts. I do think when I go back to tour, I will um, incorporate those. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of my short and long answer of yes and no. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, uh, a great tool. And one of the reasons that I think that like what you're saying, going skiing with heavy fat skis or whatever that works because one of the things we have to remember is muscular endurance is one of our most trainable qualities as human animals. So, uh, there's a lot of ways to do it. The ways we lay out in the upper athlete books and in the training plans and so on, you know, they're, they're structured and they're progressive. And, you know, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to make it just a little bit, we're trying to, you know, utilize the, 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 the training effect to continuously improve throughout a season, right. Or to get ready to peak for a race. So that, can be um, that can be maybe daunting, but I would just encourage people to you know give it like eight weeks and tell me and I you know tell me if it doesn't make a massive difference. There's just so many stories I know of of people who have, have tried this for the first time and are just kind of blown away. And sometimes it happens. You know, I was telling you about this just the other day, yesterday, at least in a separate conversation. There was a a guy, Neil Beidelman, and Neil's a f acquaintance of mine, and he's a friend of a guy that I coached. And I was over in Aspen and went for a ski tour with them, and Neil had just come back from Denali and had climbed Denali for the first time in, I don't know, a couple of decades. And he's about your size, Will. Like, he's a, he's got a runner build. He's not He's shorter than you are, actually, by a good number. Of, he's shorter than I am but he's very small uh, bone and he's, I don't know how many times he's done hard rock. He's done hard rock like 20 times or something. Cause he's one of the, you know, OG hard rock guys. And he was saying like, man, I just can't believe ever since I've been on Denali, you know, I just, I feel so strong and I'm so fast and my runs are going so well. And I, he said, I think it's the altitude and, 
then I started asking him about it and he, they were only on the mountain 11 days. And I was like, I don't think it's the altitude because the altitude would be gone by now. I think it's dragging the sled for 11 days or nine days because you basically did nine days of muscular endurance workout. And now you're out oh, two months since you've been back from Denali and you're still feeling the effects. That's not altitude. That's strength. That's, that's ME. And so, you know, there's so many ways to, to do this kind of work that can get you, you know, really significant results, intentional or not. And I think that, you know, you only kind of have to be creative enough to figure it out, understand the basic principles and creative enough to kind of figure out a fun way to do it that works for you. Yeah. And as you talk through, Steve, you know, there's a way that I think um, for me and for athletes I coach, there's an aspect of getting some of the muscular endurance workout as part of long runs that I'm realizing as we talk here. So um, for me, you know, the, the bread and butter when I can is to try to get to the Shenandoah national park. That's where I do a lot of my training. And when I'm training for a race, like a UTMB or a tour, uh, what I found really effective is after a short warm up during the long run, do a high Z three effort on a big climb at the beginning of the long run. So it might be 15 minute warm up, 2000 foot, 600 meter steep climb at the start of that long run at a you know, pretty high intensity effort. And the reality is I actually have quite a bit of weight for that because I'm going out for a long time in the mountains. I have a ton of water on me. I have gear. So it's probably at least 15 pounds there. And then I think what that's doing is it's probably getting some of that muscular endurance benefit from pushing hard up that climb, that sustained long climb. I also really like how that structure of putting that really hard effort at the start of a long run makes a four hour long run actually feel like a seven or eight hour long run. So you can get a lot of benefit with less pounding on the body. Um, so I think that's a, maybe a yes and no, like you said, Alyssa, you know, it's, it's somewhat in that muscular endurance realm of getting some of that. Um, but it makes sense. And, you know, you're just building a lot of that power and strength in doing it. Yeah. So, so many thoughts, but I guess the first one is that I think that often as I'll say mountain ultra runners, cause I think that's how it fits is when we go out in a long run, we don't have an aid station. So we're carrying all of our aid much at, at a much higher weight than we usually would in a race. And so right there you have quite a bit more weight um, than you're used to. So I think that's exactly it. Well, with, with that component, um, be the other thing I would say, Steve, thinking about your example with the, the hard rocker is that it's such low hanging fruit for all of us trail runners. You know, we, I think that we struggle and push for such marginal gains. And here's this thing where it's like, oh, that, that's such, a, that could be such a huge, um, benefit and such a huge boost where we're trying to get, you know, a, a second or two off of this interval or, you know, just like these marginal gains. Here's something that why not give it a shot? Because it could really impact um, how you can do. And it's it's something that I think runners are still kind of trying to grasp. Um, but th truly the difference is, and I talk about this a lot. There is such a difference between walking a 15 minute mile and a 20 minute mile, especially at the end of the race. I mean, Will, you pointed it out right off the bat with your UTMB finish that the first year you were 
barely able to make it down the hills, um, leaning on hiking poles. And then, you know, just being able to run down hills, which is not a cardiovascular thing at all. It is a muscle thing, um, allowed you to increase time by three hours or decrease time by three hours. Like that's huge. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That was my and, tangent. And, and, with less, and with less running volume that year. Yeah. So, you know, you, you can, go crazy and try to just pour on volume or you can be smart about where you put in your strength work and it's just a huge benefit from it. But I, I agree. It's a lot of low hanging fruit and it falls in the, you know, where places you can train smarter or not harder. And I think that's, you know, for people who aren't doing it today, there's just such big gains to be made there. I want to call out one important thing that you mentioned that I want to just emphasize because it's worth emphasizing is that you're doing this ME style piece of the long run at the beginning, because it's really important for people to understand that you can't do that at the end. And the reason is that for strength training to be effective, you need to be rested enough to be able to activate the largest, you know, uh, motor units in the muscles. And that's hard, right? Like it's, that's why you have to grimace and groan so much when you're trying to lift something heavy, it's hard it takes a lot of uh, intention, a lot of focus, a lot of like to activate those big motor units. And you just can't do that when you're already tired. So, you know, this is a pretty key piece to, to what you said, Will. And I think that this is one of the things that I think I see people making this mistake all the time, you know, on training runs. It's like, oh, I sprinted the last 15 minutes. I'm like, mm, you know, that actually didn't help you. Um, you know, maybe if it's, you know, done the warm up and then sprinted a little bit, that, that might have helped you. But, you know, you don't want to do that the other way around. And it's just understanding these little bits. This is kind of what uphill athletes all about, right? Like these little bits of knowledge can really make a huge difference in, you know, how you uh, can perform if you just understand these basic kind of ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess going to that, um, we talk about muscular endurance benefiting uphill, but how does it benefit long downhills? Because especially when you're getting into the Alps, when you're getting into these longer mountain races, you can be descending for hours at a time. And that takes a huge toll. Uh, and so we've talked about how downhills are often overlooked. But Will or Steve, I mean, how do you see muscular endurance helping with these long downhills and in and will is that something you saw in tour that you were able to do um, better because of it i think it's huge for downhills i mean the muscular endurance work will make you faster on the uphills as well but one thing i tell people who have a really big challenge right it's a race that's outside their comfort zone they think a lot about the uphills because they sound scary right climbing five thousand feet which is, but you know, there's a reality of if you're getting tired and you're going uphill, you'll be okay, right? You'll go a little slower, but you're gonna keep moving. And there's also an interesting reality with these races where when you're at the top of the mountain, you can't really drop from the race. Like you're up there, right? You kind of have to come down. The challenge is when you come down these painful long downhills and then you hit the valley and then you see your crew and then you see your car and then you have all the food there and there's a pizza shop open. That's where, that's where the temptation is going to hit. So I do think 
the muscular endurance part to be able to withstand the downhills. Because the reality of these events is you can't really do anything approaching the event in training. And that's just the nature of the beast with these. So you have to find other ways to be able to get that eccentric contraction loading to be able to prepare the muscles for what's going to happen at whatever it is, mile 90 going down that 20% grade or mile 170 going down that um, 20% grade. So I think it makes a big difference in just withstanding it and also being able to run it run it faster too. Like if your legs actually work, like my legs did not work the first time at UTMB, when they actually do work, you can go so much faster on those downhills. But that's really probably the most important thing in my mind to prepare for. And I always try to orient people on work backwards from how you survive the downhill. You'll get there with the uphill, but you have to really put more attention on the downs. And I would also say that that's a with the outdoor version, when you're carrying the heavy pack, a lot of times people use rocks that they pick up at the bottom of the hill or water or something like that, and then dump them to have less weight going down. And, you know, for people with good, uh, you know, a good strength basis and are injury free, I encourage them not to dump all of the weight. Maybe some of it, you know, it's a case by case but to really try to carry some of that weight down, not just go like full, you know, body weight only going down. And then I would also say that's the other advantage to doing this in the gym because you get that eccentric contraction. You have to step off the box. You have to, you know, do the Bulgarian split squat up and down, like all of those, the, whatever the exercise is, you're lifting the weight up and you're putting it down. And I think that that is, is super important and, 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 kind of training that both all that full capacity of the muscle full range. Yeah. And I also, I was actually just speaking this morning with an athlete about downhills is that I think we're, I mean, we're programmed the uphill is the hard part and the downhill is the reward of the recovery. And actually, if we can shift our mindset, especially if you are very good at going uphill, to thinking about the downhill as something that requires focus and attention, uh, that we can really actually change the perceptions of downhills and think of them as equally, if not more important, to be mentally prepared, mentally strategizing, rather than just, huh, I made it up the hill. Now I can just you know, recover, or I can just kind of take the gas pedal off or not think about it. Cause especially, um, I mean, running aside, but in mountain sports, I'm sure Steve, you can attest to this, that when you get to the top of the mountain, the, the hardest part is still ahead of you of getting back down. And so the more that we can frame the way we think about downhill as not so much just this turn the brain off kind of get down it anyway, but rather a tool and a place where you can be the best version of yourself that you can strengthen yourself on. I think that will really benefit quite a lot of people. Yeah. I was thinking back to, um, you know, I worked my way to UTMB and tour by doing some other races in the Alps, just because it was such a different experience and different terrain. And one of the first ones I did was the trail Verbier course in Switzerland which they've changed a little bit, but I remember doing that. I think it was 2015. And the first big descent, you descended 4,000 plus feet in two miles, basically. I remember getting down that descent and, you know, I was 16 miles into the race and my legs were just 
gone, just cooked from that descent. And that's when I realized like, okay, that's what I need to actually really train for and focus on and prepare for. And, you know, tour, you have that as well. I remember one descent in the night where you go down 2000 feet of scree in one mile, you know, just how, how do you get ready for that physically and mentally and be able to prepare for it? So I do think, I mean, obviously the gym work is huge with that because it's a way to get that eccentric contraction. That's just hard to do otherwise. And there's some risk to the downhill steep, you know, technical trail training. So you do need to manage that risk, but including that some intentional efforts towards the end, like as you're approaching your race and actually pushing the downs more and doing some of the repeats on some of the steeper parts and both from a building up the muscles to withstand that, but also the technique aspect of it too, and being able to get your turnover faster and your body more forward and looking ahead, like that's, that's huge. And it's definitely something that's important to practice and make as much or more than the uphill. So you two have each completed these massive 200 plus mile races, you know, you've touched on it a couple of times <clears throat> outside of the ups and the downs. What is it about running that far that, if anything, that requires a greater strength base and why? So I think the first thing is something I've touched on is that truly from a, an upper body and a core standpoint, you're just carrying a lot more weight um, in your pack. And that takes a huge toll. I just remember finishing Moab and, and my upper body was so tired. Um, and it goes to using poles and I didn't use poles that much in Moab, but for certain sections. And so really having a strong upper body and core is just so crucial. Um, also having a strong core truly helps, um, going up hills. I think about this a lot when I'm getting tired, I pull from my core, um, rather than kind of dragging along. And that to me makes a huge difference. Um, and I think you're just dealing with just so much more fatigue, uh, whether it's mental fatigue, physical fatigue, that the stronger you are, the longer you're able to combat um, that fatigue level. And also just, you know, you're dealing with muscle wasting, you're dealing with huge calorie deficiency. And so the stronger you can go into it, uh, and kind of combat that. I think it's probably quite similar to an expedition where you know you're going to come out of it lighter and muscle wasted, but the stronger you are going into it, the better off you will end up. Yeah. I would agree with all that. Um, when I was at Tor, you know, they divide it into seven 50K sections, basically. And between each of those, there's a life base where usually you'll stop longer and there's more more things around. I remember being in the last life base and it was nighttime and looking around and realizing just the amount of muscular damage that happened over the course of this race. And everybody's just covered in like KT tape and they have, they're just, you know, everybody's just held together by duct tape at that point, basically, because you're just fighting this muscle breakdown and you can't train for that from a running standpoint. I mean, you're going so much longer with so much more up and down vert than you can train for. So that's really, I think, the most important aspect to try to prepare for. And, um, you know, for my race, uh, I took a pretty nasty fall at mile 125 or so down this just ugly descent, this, you know, rocky, gully, steep 
descent that was also really wet, even though it hadn't been raining. So I don't know why, but I fell on this thing and had to really twist myself to keep from going down and going over this, this ledge basically. And I think I strained my calf at that point in some way. And so that was mile 125 and it didn't really bother me that much for the next 50 or so miles. And then it became a much bigger issue that, you know, was challenging towards the end. But I think the extent of the muscular endurance focus I did before, I mean, that's what really got me through. I had enough other strength, enough other muscle groups to pull on that I could, you know, keep forward progress basically and get through it. I think if I didn't have that, I don't think I would have made it. I think, you know, it took all the strength that I had to overcome that. Uh, and amazing that it didn't really become that significant for so long too. I think that, you know, is also the benefit of some of the strength work and looking around, like I said, most everybody seemed to have something similar, you know, a race that long and that hard, you're just going to do a lot of muscular damage and need all the strength you can get to get through it. Yeah. I, I think that that's so true. I mean, on a, on a different, you know, in a different sport and different time, you know, when I had, I, in 2010, when I had my bad accident, I fell 80 feet and slammed into the wall, not a ledge or would have been a different result, but I slammed back into the wall and I was badly, badly injured, but I survived and I'm convinced it is because I was so strong. Like I was in the end of a big training block, just in the specific period, getting ready to go to K2 and I was in by far the best shape of my life. And I'm sure that that's what saved me is just how strong I was. And, you know, we used to joke, kind of joke about it, you know, trying to make ourselves hard to kill. That was, uh, that was sort of the joke <laughs> we would use about what, that's what we were training for. We were trying to make ourselves hard to kill. And, you know, then it shifted as we learned more. That was back in the beginning when we didn't know what we were doing and, you know, but I still think these muscular endurance workouts, whether they're done in a gym or carrying a heavy pack or however you do them, they definitely have that feeling where you come out of them, you, you feel like you get stronger. I think, uh, you know, it's, I do want to highlight this because I do think it's a real risk that they are a little addictive because you do feel so much stronger, it's easy to overdo it. And when I'm coaching athletes, I really err on the side of recovery with them because they'll be, people will want to do them, you know, every three days or something. I'm like, no, 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 <laughs> you know, you might feel better, but you're not actually recovered yet. Like we need, we need to give you plenty of time to like fully, fully be into the training effects and of the recovery of the recovery and before we do this big of a load again, especially with the big work, big ones that are taking an hour of, uh, you know, accumulating an hour at these kind of zone three heart rates with high, high loads. I mean, they're really debilitating. I mean, you know, you'll be exhausted. I remember doing these uh, and like literally just going home and eating and going to sleep. But, you know, I was just full-time athlete, so I could, I had that luxury, but, if you don't, then it's also, you got to consider all the other things you're going to have to do that day and how that is going to affect your recovery. And, you know, people need to be very respectful with these workouts and, you know, watch themselves and not over, 
do it because it's also a way to get overtrained and get uh, injured. And, uh, and I think it can be addictive, especially when you're doing them for the first season or so. And you're just like, like, wow, this look, I feel this pop in my legs. I feel so good. I want more of that. It's like crack. You just want more. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's a, I guess a way to translate it to running is I think when people discover speed work, uh, they tend to go, I'll just dump a bunch of speed work and look at how much faster I'm going And that initial curve flattens out very quickly and also leads to injury. Um, yeah. But oh, that's great, Steve. I think uh, there could be no better advocation for doing strength work than what you just said. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Will's story, like, you know, what you said, Will, like, you know, that's a this this goes back to the value of strength, because one of the things that we didn't talk about that I also think is worth mentioning and this is more of a general strength thing is, you know, as your muscles fatigue and, you know, your, your muscles are generally what are holding, you know, besides the, the ligaments, the, the muscles are, are holding the joints together, especially badly designed joints like our knees, <laughs> uh, you know. And so when, when you lose that strength reserve and you, and you do go down or you do slide or you slip out or whatever, and you get into some funky position, you know, that's where you can get, get hurt if you don't have enough kind of strength reserve to kind of keep the joints in alignment. And I think that that's, a, you know, a key to longevity and in these sports is to be, stay strong. Yeah. When that happened that tour and I was, in the depth of, you know, just being sleep deprived and struggling with that calf <clears throat> during the race still, I was starting to beat myself up of, oh, I should have done more strength because maybe then, right, this wouldn't have happened. Once I got removed from the race and, you know, was able to think rationally again after some sleep and many, many calories, I realized like, no, it was a strength that made it so you could go 95 miles on a compromised body. Like that's, that's because of the strength. It's not a deficiency of it. So um, right. and, which is amazing. You, know, a, you ran a hundred miler on a pulled calf. Like, I mean, essentially, right. Like that's incredible that, and what, what the body can do when. And probably one of the hundreds, hun, hardest hundred milers you could run. I mean, that's the insane thing about tours. Like you take any section, you're like, that would be one of the hardest 50 Ks or hundred milers in the U S if you just did that one part. <laughs> Yeah, to be clear, I don't recommend it. And I would much rather it did not happen. Uh, And when I go back, hopefully someday, I will go a lot slower on that descent so I don't fall again. But um, yeah. And the funny part is Will brought this up before we started recording and I knew exactly what descent he was talking about and agree it is hellish to say the least. (laughs) But there is a giant pot of polenta at the bottom. So that is, I mean, it's literally a cauldron of polenta. So that's a... That's a pretty big bonus. That's pretty good. Anytime. I joke with my crew that that section got zero stars. It was a zero star <laughs> rating on that descent. Yeah, I would I would agree. Um, awesome. I think we should instigate negative stars, honestly, for all of these things, like climbing routes, all this. There's certain certain things. It's just like, that's like negative, negative five. So you know, it could just be like... 100%. Plus one to plus five, or you know, minus one to minus five, because things can be so bad that you should get a minus five. 
So I've started, I don't know when I started thinking about this, but I call it type three fun, where it's like, you know, type one fun, blah, 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 type two fun. I think of type three fun as did not enjoy doing, did not enjoy afterwards, was not a good story, deeply regret. Or not deeply regret, but like, do not look back on it fondly. And so I think. Negative stars. Yeah, negative stars, type three fun. So yes, it, uh. Yeah, I think that it's like would not recommend. Um, it's like the negative reviews of the the national parks where they're like, there was a bear on the side of the trail. What was it doing there? It's like there are bears in Yosemite. Shocking. Yeah, they live there. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. Well, this has been a great episode, and hopefully, if you were not convinced that muscular endurance with caution um, is a great tool for trail running, then I'm not sure what else we can do. (laughs) Um, So anything you two would like to touch on before we wrap up? No, great conversation, Will and Alyssa. Thanks for putting it all together. Yeah, it was fun. Awesome. Both. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to the Uphill Athlete Podcast. If you can rate, review, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, uh, that's really helpful to us. And Steve? It's not just one, but a community. Together, we are Uphill Athlete.